I am a licensed boiler contractor, and I also am a licensed plumbing contractor in the state of California. I do commercial plumbing. So if you have a high-rise luxury building and it's Friday night, you know, everybody's getting ready to go to club and then you realize there's no hot water, you have 300 to 150 residents who are paying on an average four to $5,000 rent. They're calling somebody and I'll get a phone call. Hey, Richard, um, this is such and such. Uh, you know, we're in downtown San Jose. You know, I got 300 units, blah, blah, blah. I got no hot water. And then I'll shoot them a price, a very high price because it's overtime and after hours. And I will make off that job more than what an average person makes in two weeks off that one call. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Higher Standard Podcast, where we give you ultra premium, unfiltered truth when it comes to building your wealth and curating the lifestyle of your dreams. No games, no drama, and no shenanigans. I am your host, Chris Nahibi, and I'm here to help you distill the immense amount of information and disinformation out there on the interwebs and give you the opportunity to choose a higher standard for yourself. There are no gurus here, and no one gives a damn about how wealthy you look. I'm an attorney and a banker, amongst other things. Does that mean you should listen to me? Hell no. This is just full disclosure that while we talk about money, wealth, law, investing, and a lot of related topics, you should always speak to your own advisors for an opinion tailored to your unique investment perspective. I am obligated to tell you that nothing contained in this show is in fact legal or investment advice and is being provided solely for entertainment purposes. So sit back, relax your mind, and get ready for a different kind of podcast where we elevate your baseline in crispy, high-resolution audio. This isn't a different standard. It's the higher standard. Welcome back, friends. This week, we got Rico on the show. And Rico is a friend of mine from Instagram. We, you know, car scene together. Definitely have a lot of similar attributes. We're about the same age. He's 43. I'm 41. We both lived through interesting and challenging times during the Great Recession. And he tells you a little bit about what he went through in this episode, but he's such a good dude. And he's one of those guys who's like that blue collar worker who's worked his way up and grounded, you know, grinded it out the whole way, you know, made a lot of money, lost a lot of money, then found a way to make money again. And his story is, is surprisingly compelling in that it's not NFTs, it's not cryptocurrency, it's not a lawyer, it's not a doctor. And he's a brilliant guy. He just wasn't motivated, you know, in school the same way that some of these kids are motivated to, to, to go that path. He took a different path, the road less traveled by, but he'll, he'll break it down to you. It's made him a very, very successful man. And while he likes really nice things and definitely we both love cars, I think what comes out of this is a story that just because you think you've succeeded doesn't mean that you have, number one. And number two, no matter what life gives you, you have to keep fighting for what you're passionate about. You have to keep fighting for your personal growth. And one of the things that, you know, I wish we shared on the actual podcast when we recorded it was we were talking before we recorded it about how, you know, when we were in our 20s, we thought we knew so much, myself included. I thought, I swear, you know, I thought I knew so much about the world in my, in my 20s. I thought that I was mature for my age and maybe that's what all 20 year olds think, but now in my 40s, I'm like, God, man, I didn't know shit. <laughs> and he was saying the same thing. We were reminiscing about how some of the decisions that we made in our 20s and 30s and, and how maybe this is what wisdom is. Maybe wisdom is that bell curve where you realize how much you don't know about stuff, you know, the more you know about it, 
And it just so happens the top of the bell curve of life, you know, you start to figure out what you don't know. And at 41 years old, I can tell you right now, I don't know a whole lot. I just know that I'm still trying to work and find a way to grow. And that's one of the things that you're going to get in this episode from Rico is he's still trying to work. He's still finding a way to grow. And his passions are going to become his businesses. But I don't want to spoil too much. Take a dive into Rico's life for a little bit. We went a little long on this one, but trust me, it's worth it. For those of you who are fans of cars, we'll cover a lot of that in an episode to come, especially you know because his collection is so big. But he'll give you a hint at what some of the rewards uh, of this hard work has been for him at the end of the episode. I hope you enjoy it. It's always a pleasure talking to my friend Rico. It's you and me talking. That's what it is right now. Right on. Simple as that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening. <laughs> Good evening. <laughs> so now that we hit the record button, and for everybody out there, we've been talking for, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes. Um, there's so much shit you and I could talk about that, that, that'd be fascinating. But before we do that, Rico, tell, tell everyone who's listening where you came from and how you got to who you are today. And then we can get into real, all the fun shit, like the cars and you know all, all of the accoutrement of being a, a successful guy like yourself. Well, hey, hello, everybody. My name actually is uh, Richard Gutierrez, but uh, in my professional sphere, but everybody knows me by Rico. Who am I and why the hell am I on the air? So I guess Chris, for some reason, decided I would have something of interest to share with you. But uh, if you it's follow me it's on... because you're handsome. <laughs> <laughs> if, you see, I mean, if you see me on Instagram as Rico's Way or whatnot at SEMA or car shows... You may think that I am a stockbroker, just a pure businessman, or a uh, international playboy. Yeah, or a drug dealer, or whatever. Drug dealer. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what I am, I am a commercial contractor. You know, you you can catch me at Pebble Beach having dinner. You can catch me uh, in San Francisco steakhouses. You can catch me at any uh, you know Italian. Um, store in Union Square, Las Vegas, shopping, Rodeo Drive, you're going to see me. Uh, you're going to go to Car Week. You're going to see me. You're going to see me with the mayor. You're going to see me dressed up. But then the flip side is that you may see me driving my Isuzu box truck through the many barrier freeways in my uniform on my way to fix uh, a commercial water heater. You know, I'll, you will see me in uh, you know, uh, a pair of jeans, a faded polo. I'll have my knit cap on. I'll probably have my headlight on my head. Uh, you know, I'll be, I don't rock, you know, uh, $300 red wing shoes. I buy the $30 shoes from Walmart, steel toes, been using those for years. You know, I'll work an average of at the minimum 40 to you know, and I also want to tell myself, I want to be careful what I say, because I am a business owner and we have the IRS out there, but who never heard of, but you know, we, I can go up to 70 hours easily, uh, you know, 60, 70 hours in a week. So explain to most people what a commercial contractor is though. Cause I think, I think a lot of people, I know what you do, what you do. Cause I'm in the space and I've seen it. Yeah. It's not, it's not just, you know, plumbing i mean you're talking about like massive projects for like multifamily and commercial properties. yeah right? so so what i do <clears throat> so who i am is that so what i do right now to fund the whole splash of 
the minuscule view of what I show online is that I operate, I am a licensed general contractor for one. I am a licensed boiler contractor. And I also am a licensed plumbing contractor in the state of California. So what are the business I operate now? I do commercial plumbing. So what I do is I am the one, if you have a high rise luxury building in the Bay Area with say 150, 200 units, and it's Friday night, you know, everybody's getting ready to go to club, have sit down family dinner, and then you realize there's no hot water. You have 300, 150 residents who are paying on an average four to $5,000 rent. They're calling somebody. They're calling the management company. Mm. Most of the time, it is not an ownership that I'm dealing with. So a management company will get a phone call from 300 people who pay a lot of money in the Bay Area. And they say, I want my hot water back on right now. And so then they'll dig through what is called a vendor list and then they'll find my name and they'll give me a call. And I'll be probably, even if it is 10 o'clock at night, I probably will be home chilling, playing with my Instagram or on TikTok <laughs> and I'll get a phone call. Hey, Richard, um, this is such and such, uh, you know, we're in downtown San Jose. You know, I got 300 units, blah, blah, blah. I got no hot water. And then I'll shoot them a price a very high price because it's overtime and after hours and I'll, I will get out of my pajamas, whether I'm with my wife, having dinner out at a car meet, I will drive back home, get my uniform on, fire up my truck, put whatever I need in my truck and I will drive to that job and I will make off that job, you know, more than what an average person makes in two weeks off that one call. So what I, what I do is uh, the service industry that I work in is uh, there's only a few players in the barrier. So I have very little competition in the barrier. It's highly specialized, right? It's highly specialized. That's the word I was looking for. It's highly specialized. Uh, I do have over 15 years of experience in the field that I do, uh, trusted by all the manufacturers in my realm. In other words, what, what I do is very sought after. We're able to charge a large amount for what we know, and even more if we actually have the part to fix it. Particularly in your area, right? Like some of these, pro some of these buildings are older too. I mean, if you were like in Southern California, you know, there's some parts that aren't as old, but I mean, particularly San Francisco, Bay Area, San Jose, all those areas. I mean, all those areas got older homes and boilers that are older and properties that, that you know, need a little more maintenance, right? Yeah. The, the, the thing is, it's so what it is, is that how, why, I mean, it's two things that I could talk about. It's like, why did I, this is not the first business that I have had. That's what I want to know. Let's get into it, brother. Let's go. Let's go back to Jump Street. The, um. You know, I have been the president of three corporations. Uh, the cur current corporation that I have now, I am the 100% owner. So I am the, this is my company. Um, I went through the 2000, 2008 crash. I got murdered like everybody else. Um, in 2008, and like, like, I mean... To be frank, and and I get how you want to talk about Chris, so I'm going to do my best. But <laughs> to, to being able to create a business 
having the knowledge that you know that you could create a business tomorrow, that you could survive, having the knowledge how to make money. I'm not scared of recessions. I already went through 2008. What happened in 2008? 2008, I had a general contractor business. I was building custom homes in the city of Oakland for over 10 years. You know, I was uh, doing about three homes a year. Either would be two remodels and one brand new home from the ground up. We would do it from the ground up. And in 2008, we got killed. I had five new homes. I had three new homes I had built. And I had two new homes I had just purchased for, for three new homes I had just purchased for remodel. Mm. I had that much on the plate because we were in disbelief. We didn't know it was coming. You know, we, we were like, I don't know. We were like, it, it, the, the best way I could describe how majority of the real estate market was in 2008, we were like the Europeans back in the day, like, is there America? Is it flat? Is it round? <laughs> like, like, like it was something that you couldn't see and you didn't know until we saw it, until we actually believed it when everything just hit the fan. So when everything fell apart and I did, we did end up, you know, foreclosing on some of the homes or selling them or just renting them and eventually just letting them go. Uh, I never did lose my home at that time. I did. I was like right now, I sold all my toys. I cut everything off, cut all the fat. But the one thing is that when I came out of 2008, you know, when you lose the 2008 experience, and I, I want to try to talk about it as fast as I can in short, so it doesn't well, get don't, all don't, don't, don't be fast about it. I mean, think about it this but way. The, the 2008, the 2008, I mean, what 2008 was for my industry at that time, I was a realtor. I was a realtor for over 12 years. We did have a family brokerage for over 30 years. Wow. I had, I mean, I have, I was doing, I was hosting open homes when I was 15 years old, which is completely legal. <laughs> and I didn't start talking business until I was 18 when I had my license. So then I could actually talk to people. But it wasn't, it wasn't something that we, it, it was not a business failure where you did something wrong and you could point to it and said, you know what, that was a bad decision we made. And I killed the company. So it was a really, it was a very much like the, we were, you felt robbed, you felt destroyed. Uh, it took a huge hit in my self-esteem and pride to have this, you know, I don't want to say what the amounts were, but you know, we, we were making money. And I Every, had dreamed, everybody did though. Everybody took that hit. Though. I had, I had no. dreams of building million dollar homes. I had dreams of just building custom homes in in uh in the oakland it's called skyline in the oakland hills mm -hmm. very similar to like maybe i don't want to say similar to malibu but it's a uh an area where there's very large homes and so my vision in 2007 2006 was to build these large custom homes and you sell them for two three million dollars and each home you spend about two three years building and you get really more into the craft, just like cars, right? Yeah. After we build cars more and more, you start getting more detailed. So I was uh, very interested in building these large custom homes and getting more detailed into the woodwork, getting more detailed in the type of tile I was using, the design, the landscape, the colors, everything. It, it, it's a craft. And to have everything just disappear, real estate companies died, title companies, all the loan officers. 
everybody everybody took a hit and i was married at that time i went through a divorce through the recession uh i got hit i but even though i took a a uh a self-esteem hit we didn't stop working when we took a hit Previous to 2008, I was traveling to Ibiza for a month a year. Wow, really? Yes. Just hang out, have a good time? I was there for 30 days every year for two years straight. I don't know if I could handle 30 days. So I was doing that. I had the hot car. I was doing the car shows. I was spending money. I was living a great life. I was young. And things were great. So when I saw 2008 coming, immediately I sold the cars. I even had my wife sell her car. Oh, wow. I had just bought, a, I had just bought her a brand new FJ Cruiser. That must have been tough. And at that time, at that time, I believe she was at home. She wasn't working. And I, you know, hindsight, it was probably stupid. I was like, you know, if you want to keep that car, you're going to have to go to work. <laughs> and she did she did go back to working and we ended up having to get rid of that car so from having brand new cars modified cars i went out and bought her a 1992 honda civic eg hatchback automatic in gray and later on i followed suit and i bought a 1991 uh honda eg civic in white in an automatic and had these two clean <laughs> on the civics egs uh no more europe no more steakhouses no more shopping but the thing is that i it didn't you just have to you have to adapt it was a transitional period so i got rid of all the i got rid of all the uh you know the material things and then what do we start doing so our business we transitioned to working for the city of oakland and we started boarding up all the uh, crack houses and all the recession homes. So 2008, what people, what people don't realize in 2008, 2009, you would go down any street. Let's say any street would have 10 homes. Five homes would be for sale or five homes would be vacant. Or they were sold. They were abandoned in 2007 and it's 2009. No one has lived there for two years. The weeds are grown. Uh, you're having squatters, you're having homeless, you're having criminal activity. And the city of Oakland had contractors that would go around like me. And I would go into these very sometimes undesirable neighborhoods. Sometimes I was going into the mansions on Skyline. And our job was to cover up the windows with three quarter inch plywood and with a, uh, with a compressor nailed gun, we'd shoot nails into brand new mill guard or whatever windows. I don't care where the molding was from, but we were shooting it and sealing it. And we would put doors and locks. We were putting up chain link fences. Wow. I had a flatbed dump truck. We would have to pick up all the trash. So pretty much I went from being a general contractor, building at that time we were building between 300 to a million dollar homes, 300,000 to a million dollars, traveling all over the world, buying whatever I wanted, to now I pretty much was doing garbage duty. Garbage duty, cleaning up, 
I was working with the code enforcement. I was working with the police, but we didn't stop there. Uh, we started working for the city of Oakland uh, fire department. And uh, I believe it was in 1989 that we had the huge Oakland fire. So the yeah. city of the fire department had contractors going into the mountains and cleaning up vacant lots. So we would go into these vacant lots and cut all the weeds, cut them with weed whackers, cut them with machetes, by hand, with pick, whatever we had, uh, gather up all the trash and put them in the truck and take it in. So Rico, Rico, let me let me ask you this question, man. Like, you you were there. You were in the middle of the great uh, of this recessionary economy. You were in the middle of all that, and you saw the fallout afterward. Mm-hmm. You know we're we're in a really weird time right now, right? Like, you see similarities. You, you see you see things that are kind of like the same. Or how do you feel about all that? I feel that I think I think that the I think the world's on drugs. Wow, cracked out, right? I feel that I feel that I feel that I I do see the one similarity that in 2008 you would turn on CNN, you would turn on MSNBC or any of these guys, and they would say, "Oh no no, we're this is not year 2000, this is not the bubble, you know we're we're, we're pushing, you know look at the earnings, look at the orders, look at the job growth. I mean we're 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 pushing, and. Now, when I see them talking, I'm like, I call bullshit, <laughs> bullshit. This is not what I'm seeing. This is not what I'm seeing in my day-to-day business life. This is not what I'm seeing at the supermarket. This shit is not cool. I mean, and it's funny because like, it's, it's like this ephemeral, like perpetual optimism where people are like, oh my God, shit's amazing. Yeah, there's Bitcoin, there's this. And you're just like, I, I mean, the one thing, in, I, I mean, in, in the, the only reason I don't want to say the only reason, but in, 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 in 2009 is when I was doing all these odd jobs in 2008. You know, the only thing the government cared about that time was the auto industry. That's who got the bailout. I remember, yeah. The, the government didn't give two shits about the real estate industry. They didn't care about any of the general contractors. We were the ones that were lifting up the whole country and pumping all the money, but they didn't give a damn about us. So we weren't getting these checks these uh stimulus whatever i i don't care what it is people are getting or the billions of free money that has come out uh you know we weren't getting that that's it was totally not because people bastardized the whole industry they were like they were like oh these these lenders were terrible for making these subprime loans but it was it was the hybrid selling of loans in the secondary market that fucked everybody else i mean the lenders were just giving money away that was there it was it was that two year. Hey, how you doing? Um, you know that loan that we gave you for five yeah. percent? Yeah, it's ten yeah. percent now. Um, yeah, it's due on the thirtieth. Have a good day. Yeah, and it's not interest only anymore. It's <laughs> I was like, yeah. what? <laughs> yeah, what subprime? Yeah. So the um, so what? Oh, so I did that. I hit rock bottom, where my father was the one doing this odd jobs with me because he was building with me. And my father, my father retired in year 2000. He was a uh, uh, United Airlines line mechanic. And oh, wow. he had retired and uh, we were the ones together that started the general contractor business. And because he has no fear, my father is, he has no fear when trying to create a company. But the whole thing was that, he, you know, he was, he was going out with me every day and 
I knew that he was trucking it also to help me. And in the summer of 2009, I says, you know what? Let's stop doing the cleanup. Let's stop doing the fire department work. I'm going to go get a job. Now, trying to get a job as an entrepreneur after 10 years of working for yourself. It's impossible. You, there's, there's, no one's going to no look at that resume. No one's going to hire you. Yeah. And how much did you make? Who'd you work for? So the only job I was able to get is working for the Honda of Oakland selling cars. I sold cars for Sir Irvine BMW at one point back, way back in the day. I and I and I went in there. I went in there. I had long hair. I showed up for work. Cut your hair. Bring a suit. No problem. I had all my suits from my realtor days. Not a problem. Trying to be a salesman in the worst economy. <laughs> Yeah, that had to be. I mean, we were having Memorial Day uh, sellathons with barbecue and DJs. All the salesmen were eating all the hot dogs, and we were the only ones dancing. So, <laughs> but that, but it, it was a horrible time to be a salesman. No one, no one sold cars. Uh, I even was trying to mentally gear myself up to talk to the older salesmen, and they're like, you know, if you want this leather jacket, Richard, and you know, if you want to have this desk. You know, you got to practice. You need to practice the steps and I can teach you. And I'm like, and I'm like, and I'm, I'm, I'm being serious. I'm like, dude, I'm willing to learn. If you're going to be my sensei, you know, if you're going to teach me the, the, you know, all the movements, I'm down. But that's not what killed me. Um, what kills, what can kill anyone during any kind of recession, any kind of neg negative environment or downturn is that. What's the locker room like after you lose the game? Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. You know, you know after, after, after the game, they're like, so, Chris, <clears throat> can you tell us what the locker room's like? What's the temperature? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. Did they win or lose? You know, if they won, you know, they got goggles in their eye to keep the champagne out of their eyes, right? Yep. But if they lost. No one says a word. You know, you're like, I'm, I'm not going to. You know, when you feel like shit, do you take a shower? Or are you just like, I just want to get out of here. You leave. You're out. I just want to fucking get my shit and go. You know, you're not, you're not, you're not in the suit doing the post interviews. So, what I'm trying to get at is that who else was at this dealership with me? Other people who were failed entrepreneurs, I'm assuming, right? That's correct. Uh. It was a it was a pit of fallen angels, broken wings everywhere, blood everywhere. People talking about what? Oh man, man, dude, I used to have the 500 bins. I was selling houses. I was dating this girl. We used to go to the club, buy all the bottles, all this past tense. And it was horrible to listen to. And after working there for about two months, I says, I, I'm going to die here. I cannot be around these people. You know, I couldn't be around that environment. Like they say, do you want to be part of a losing team or a winning team? And it was like, this is, this is unhealthy for me. So two months in, called my brother-in-law at the time. And that, at that time, his business was going through a downturn. A new CEO had taken over his company and was doing, uh, was imploding it, was killing it from within. Which really happens. Of course. And that was happening at his industry. He worked in commercial water heaters. And we had always joked around that one day we could create our own company when I was a general contractor in the 2000s. So I called him up. I'm like, hey, 
yo, his name is Jesse. Hey, Jesse, uh, I know your work sucks and I know you hate your new boss and she hates you and I hate where I am. Uh, what, what, what do you think about that idea we had <laughs> about creating a, a, a plumbing business? No time like the present. Let's make it happen. Yeah, I'm like, and I, I called him when I was on my break and he's like, tell you, he's like, okay, two things. One, we can't do it with your general. You need to get a plumbing license. No problem. Two, you need to call this manufacturer guru and talk to him and see if he'll give give us a play. In other words, like uh, uh like like if I say, hey, I want to play football, well, you got to call uh, you know, uh, a talent agent or someone to see see if you can find somewhere to play. So, in other words, he was telling me you need to call this older guy. He runs one of the manufacturers. See if you can get in with him. And let him know that you want to open a new business and see if he'd be willing to help. So, what, like I said, what I, the industry I am, I am is very select and very small. So, he was telling me, you need to call and see if they'll even let us in the door. So, I called the gentleman. Hey, this is my name is Richard. And he knew who my brother-in-law was. Hmm. And my brother-in-law had a, a very good reputation in the Bay Area. And I said, hey, this is who I am. Uh, such and such as my brother-in-law, you know, I would, I wanted to talk to you about that. I would like to open a commercial water heater company. And he was very positive off the bat. He was an old guy. I could tell he was probably 70, 80 years old. And he was a salesman and he was very positive. He told me what to do, what moves to make, made that phone call. The next phone call was to the state of California. I called the, um, the school to take the exam, the prep, the prep school, mm -hmm. just like you do for real estate. Yeah. Anyways, to make it short, I got my license. Um, I, I passed it on the first test. I took the test in San Jose. Um, I started using my marketing background. I mailed out 10,000 mailers, developed the company logo, got the business license, opened up the bank account. My brother-in-law quit his job. He's like, I'll quit my job. I want to go on vacation for a month. And when I come back, we'll fire it up. And he went, he went on vacation for a month while he was on vacation. I was delivering all the mailers by hand and mailing them doing mass mail. So once again, learn how to do that. There's no email masking or Instagram at that time. So I mass mailed all the management companies and apartment buildings in the Bay area. And when he came home, I already had jobs lined up and waiting for us. Um, starting a new company is scary. It was crickets for the first month. He was, he had a he has a family, he has a home, he has a mortgage. Uh, it was a huge risk at the time because I had a mortgage as well. And I had my family's mortgage also. Cause you know, we were just coming out of the recession. So, you know, it wasn't just me. And I also had these, I want no bullshit. I had like $200,000 in credit. I had to pay off from my construction loans. Right. Mm. So I had all this huge debt, right? All this like $300,000 in debt from building houses. Right. So I had the responsibility of three families, three families. But the only reason why I was willing to open up this new business, I mean, from 2008 to I opened up the business of September 2009, it really took that long for me to get the courage back to get back in the game.
but do you think do you think that pressure of, the, of that debt and the families and all those things? I mean, that that pressure gave that gave you that right. Like you you had to have that. I I I, I took me time to lick off the wounds. I mean, it's people think that. I mean, look at Tesla. We I, I and I don't want to glorify these guys any more than they need to. Mm-hmm. But you look at Tesla, look at Apple, look at Cisco. It's one person. One person. Now you may say, oh, you know, he's an egomaniac. You know, F him. Why does he make those billions? It really is. There is one captain. There's one general. There's one president. There really is one person in front saying, you know what? We're going to fucking make, we're going to turn right. Yeah. We're going to turn right. And then we're going to turn left. And then we're going to go straight. And then we're going to stop. You have to be that one that says, I'm going to make the call and I'm going to absorb all the risks. And you also are going to absorb all the rewards. Yep. So at that time, I finally got my balls back and I says, I'm ready to do this. And I had his family on the line, my family, my parents. And I'm like, I'm going to do this. And so we decided to create a business that would be economy proof. So what did I learn from the 2008 is like in 2008 also I was I was trying to uh publicize myself as a general contractor during recession nobody wants to remodel their bathroom nobody wants to build a new den So what what I learned from the from the crash was that I need to open up a new business and people that they have to do In other words my business when I show up to a restaurant it's unfortunate, but I don't care if they haven't had customers all month. They need hot water and they have a credit card and they're going to pay me for it. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of business I'm in. So I'll show up. I don't care if the apartment is half full. The apartment building is half full. I don't care if the hotel only has two uh, guests. They need hot water and they're going to have to pay for it because by law in the state of California, they must have hot water within. 48 hours there must be a response within 24 hours so they have to do it so i felt confident opening up this new business this is the direction i want to go i only want to do commercial i didn't want to deal with homeowners i had enough experience working with people as a real estate agent uh, i do not like dealing with you know you know uh, jill and smith or whatever the hell or whatever the kids is or what she likes or what he likes I wanted to strictly deal with B2B. And and that's what we did. And the first two months was hard because I was dealing with a employee that was already making a hundred thousand already. And I was taking him on. And I pretty much was pretty much subsidizing him to even work for me. You know, and he would look at me and he says, you know what, maybe I should just go back to work. You know, I don't think this is gonna work. And I kind of just told him, you know, just hold on. Wow. Just hold on. Give it time. You know, I cannot, you know, this match is not just going to light overnight. But we started in September. October was slow. November was slightly better. But once December of 2009 hit, it fucking took off. Hmm. It just took off. People got word that we we existed. Uh, I had started making some connections with manufacturers that we were the new guy in town. And we were willing to work for cheap. And it just took off. 
it took off from 2009. It's 2021. You know, we I've been in business uh, almost 12 years now. Passed the 10-year mark. That was a big plus for me. Um, you know, to be in business longer than when I was a general contractor uh, was a big thing uh, because of the 2008 crash. It, it, it has been a huge, it's been a, it's been a great ride. And, but I, this, how the success that I have now, like I was thinking about this number when you, when you messaged me, when you messaged me about, you want to do a podcast, yeah. the difference between the age I am now and the business I have now and my successes when I was younger, when I was, <clears throat> I think when I, I, when I was buying and flipping, I purchased my first home, I think when I was 21 years old. I purchased my first house for 85000 in West Oakland. I flipped it in about six months. I think I sold it for 180000 Wow. You know, pulled 100 out of it. Uh, and then I would do this again and again. Um, and then I think the, my biggest reward in that era was... I think I bought a home for six hundred thousand, six hundred fifty, and I flipped it for nine fifty. Wow! So it was like a three hundred k pop, right? And that was like a big deal. Well, I mean, that age back then—that's it was big. It was big. It was like it was totally big. And with that money, no, 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 no cap, like the kids say, right? Yeah. I used that money. I own the person. I own the home that I live in now with that money, and I even bought uh, investments, which I gave to my ex-wife. So. I think I won. <laughs> <laughs> there's no winning. Life. There's that's no winning life. with your life. Yeah, it, it's that's life. life. Hey, hey, this yeah. is the that's the reality, right? You know. So I mean, look, I think there's a powerful message in what you're saying. Though a lot of people are, are talking about starting businesses online, they want to get rich with you know Bitcoin and NFT. And you're a guy who who's, I mean, look, if you look at your social media, it looks like you're just balling. Like you're making all this money. Like you're having a great time. I think people forget the origin story of where you came from to how it gets to, to where you're at today. Well, the, 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 th the thing, the thing is that the, the point where I was going for is that when people, it's like my wife, my current, my current wife will ask me, do you want to go back to building and flipping? Hmm. You know, and when I was building and flipping, I had, I want to say up to six employees. I had all the trucks, the day to day, uh, having to have stuff to do for all your employees. It's a lot. And, um, but like I was saying, you know, that, that, that profit was like something very respectable at that time. And in that generation, when I was 18, all the big realtors were flipping. Yeah. That was like the go thing. You know, it was not to become a big realtor. It was like, okay, once you make it, once you make enough money off your listings, start buying houses and renting and flipping. Well, they're doing that now too. I mean, flipping's back in in a big, big way right now. And I, I try to tell people like, look, like you don't understand, understand the profit in the flipping business goes away when a recession hits. It's gone. I, I mean, I'm worried for a lot of the flippers right now. But the but the difference is now. The difference is now. For me to make uh, that huge profit that I made back in, I want to say that was probably 2000. I think that was in 2005. Hmm. that i did that that big pop but l l let me let me just explain this so for me to do that big pop let's say i made that 300k profit right that probably took me about six to eight months of doing the remodel right 
So it took me six to eight months of the investment, the day-to-day, the wages, the material. And and it's not a three three K pure, right? You know, I gotta pay the listing and whatever I put into the yeah, yeah. into the home. There's there's fees, there's costs, yeah, yeah, so price of doing business. If I jump to now, to right now, I operate I operate a company that's highly specialized in our skill, experience, and knowledge. Uh, we are, we, it's a very low amount of employee. Let me just use that word. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can turn that in a month now. Oh, wow. Compared to six months. So I can turn that. If it's a really good month, I can turn that. I can turn that. So I feel that it's, I feel that the, one of the messages I wanted to say is that there's, is it, there's a, like, I, I tell people like, what do you want? Like you, you only think that the stockbroker who works by himself can make a lot of money. They only think the actor can make a lot of money by himself. We only think the athlete can do it. And you think the only other option is that, well, only those people on by themselves have that potential of becoming millionaires. If I want to do that, I have to have a company. I got to have this huge operation. I got to go work for Google. I got to go work for, you know, Cisco. I need to have this huge operation. In other words, I need to be white collar. Mm-hmm. And my, my statement is that you're missing the professional welder. You're missing the professional plumber. You're missing highly skilled tradesmen that work by themselves, that maybe there's only two, three people in the business, that they are so skilled that, you know, they show up to a job and, you know, you could easily charge $80,000 for one day worth of work, depending on the project. And that's no bullshit. That's no bullshit. And people don't see that. They just see me and they just say, oh, you're just a plumber. I never want to do that. Uh, I want to be at home trading stocks all day. <laughs> and <laughs> the, 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 my whole thing is that the misconception, there's just this whole misconception that, that one person can't do it doing blue collar work. That yes, you can. Because there's a humongous shortage of people that just know what the fuck they're doing. I, 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 I tell people, I, I, I get phone calls to go all over the Bay Area. I, I work for the highest end restaurants, highest luxury properties. I go all the mansions. I go everywhere. I've seen it. I mean, I've seen you. I've- and, I get, and, I get cock, and I've been getting cockier and cocker as I get older. And they'll call me, hey, hey Richard, uh, I got this such and such. I've had such and such come over. Oh, they probably, they probably don't know what the fuck they're doing. Yeah. So, so now what? So what time is it? It's eight o'clock at night. So how many companies did you call today? Yeah, I called five companies and all right. So now you want me to help you because I have the confidence and the experience and the experience and the experience. This is how much it's going to cost. If you want me to come over and bail you out, can you fix it? Do you have the part? I do. And I know how to do it. Mm. And this is how much I'm going to charge. So that confidence comes with years of time and experience. And 
I just think that people, uh, and it's not their fault. It's not their fault. But I think with the wealth of information out there, I can't keep saying it's not your fault that your your life's fucked up forever, you know? You know, I, I can say that to you when you're like 18, 19, 20, but if you're 30, 35, 40, you know, I can't just, I cannot talk to a 40-year-old man, man or woman and say, oh, you know, it's not your fault. You know, you didn't know. You didn't know. That's why you're, that's why you're not doing well. That's why you're not achieving. That's why you're not successful. You know, I can say that to a 16-year-old, an 18-year-old, but with the wealth of information in the world now, it's just like, dude. It's out there. Go get it. it, it it's out there that I, it, what it was when I was growing up, you know, I'm sure as yourself, yep. you know, our parents say you should be a lawyer, you should be a doctor, you should <laughs> be an engineer. Uh, I, I, I have lived both roads. My brother and sister are both Cal Berkeley grads. Mm. One of them has a master's from Berkeley. I got kicked out of high school. I took my CHSPE. I didn't even take the GED. Wow. Okay. <laughs> because I was only 17. I went to college, spun my wheels in City College for four years. Wow. Spun my wheels in State College for another four years. Got kicked out because my GPA was 1.4. Wow. Look at you go. But you weren't interested, though. That's why. It was because it, was, it wasn't interesting to you. It wasn't because it wasn't you couldn't do it. What happened, the reason why I finally failed in college was that by that point, I was already working as a, as a realtor full-time. Yeah. And I was already practicing business. I was already... My mother was such an excellent teacher of ethics. Um, you know, we, ne we never got sued. We never got any kind of... Any... Uh, being a realtor in lawsuits is very popular. We never got sued. We never got any kind of litigation. She is the main reason why I have such a strong balance of ethics in my business from my mother. But so when I was in school at that age, I was like, man, you're full of shit, Teach. Like, that, that, this, that's, not, that's not how it works. So, of course, I lost interest and, uh, you know, I, 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 uh, I bowed out. It's funny how that works, right? And like the system frowns upon that. But I, I did the law school thing because my dad forced me to do it. I was never really interested in it. I got to be honest. And people think to this day, people who don't know me like, oh, that guy makes money because he's a lawyer. Bro, being a lawyer has made me no money. Like I've made no money with a law degree. It was being a businessman that paid me. But I've to this day, it's one of the lowest like paying things that I do. And it's funny to think that that was the hardest thing educationally I had to do. I mean, there's some value in it, whatever. As a businessman, it's great. But you can get the same value from the ethics that your mom gave you when you were young as a realtor. Same place. You know, I, I feel that the we wouldn't be doing this podcast if we felt that we want to bag on the youth or bag on young adults. It's just that. No. But I will say, I will say it's different, though. Like, I've got younger siblings, and, you know, I love them for what they are and what they're not. But things are different, though, man. People have this weird... I mean, the social media has fucked kids up. I'm going to say that right there. Social, social media has messed up some of these kids to a point where it's like their expectation from themselves and from like what, how they get that for themselves is so warped by what they see in these static images online. You know, the one thing I wanted to share with you with that, and I want to say it delicately, is that it's, it's, it has become the norm, but also it's what they see on TV and it's what's preached on news and whatever, right? Is that 
it is a very blurred message between civil rights and and nature and survival. You know, there's like we all are equal. Yes, civil the whole point of the civil rights movement and the whole point what I'm trying to go for is that we're all equal, we're all the same, we all have the same chance. You know, we all should be able to go to Berkeley. You, you, we all should have the uh, the equal potential. We all can become millionaires. You can become the president. They used to tell us when we were kids, you can become an astronaut. You were you were born here. You can become the next president of the United States. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're in America's land of dream, blah, 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 blah. But civil rights movement was that we all be to be treated fair, equally, no discrimination. Hey, you know, if you want to eat here, eat here. If you want to sit here, sit here. You know, if you want to get on this plane, get on this plane. If you want to go to this school, go to this school. Cool. I'm all for that. But people have the message of the civil rights movement. They have tried to move it over to what's natural selection, what's survival. We are all not equal when we're talking about the potential of our growth. You know, when you... We, we we are not this we are all not the same we were we don't we didn't have the same parents we weren't raised the same yep we all didn't have the same education we all don't have the same exposure we don't have the same network it's like okay you know one kid is eating at is his parents shops at whole foods all his life mm. and then you got this other kid where the parents shop at 711 Right. It's like you can't tell me that each one's going to be awake at school, have the same attentive, the same health. You know, the 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 kid that lives in the affluent neighborhood is going to have a completely different network. Yep. He's going to have a completely different exposure set of opportunities. Mom, mom and dad are going to come home, not stressed. Maybe mom's home. Maybe dad feels great because he had a great golf game or he just made a great deal at the office. Compared to the child in the low-income area where both are working, you know, there, there's a, I mean, all kinds of negative elements. You're growing up in that. And so you can't say, hey, man, it shouldn't the same law apply like civil rights to, to natural selection and survival? No, no, it's not. You know, in, in the wild, you know, not, not all of them are born, not all animals are born with four legs. Some are born, they can't see, they get killed first. They're born with three legs, you get killed first. And then, you know, they swim out to the ocean or they get out into the wild. And then it's like, okay, how many of the litter is going to survive past a year? It's the same thing in our world. Mm -hmm. And I feel that people misconstrue. There is a marketing message that is being sold to you. Like, hey. Everybody drink Coca-Cola so you can kick ass and have a great day today, right? You know, or, or it, it's a lot of it is a marketing uh, scheme. But as you become an adult, you should be able to see through all this bullshit. You need to acknowledge your skills, acknowledge your flaws, and figure out how to survive. You know, the it is, do I feel that I mean, do I feel that if I was born in a different family, I would be, you know, if my parents were already millionaires, would I have a different life? Yeah, I would. Does that make me sour? No, I'm just, it's just reality. It's, we, 
uh, you know, I, I, I have no qualms about how I was raised or who I am. But we have to acknowledge that we're all different. And we all have different growths. What now, what separates us from, what separates the, you know, the bullet points? You know, yeah, there are some special cases where the guy from the barrio or from the ghetto that came up with this great mathematic idea or creation and then he he excelled and became a millionaire and a success. You know, that's a great story. I applaud that. Is that for everybody? It's probably not. It's probably not. And I that's why I'm very thankful for my parents and how I was raised. And I think that my personal success is all foundation on what my parents taught me. Um, I feel that people, I think that young teenagers should not block out what their parents are saying. Don't ignore your parents. You know, you, you, they are actually have gems. If you have your grandfather, if you have your grandmother around, listen to what the fuck they're trying to tell you. You don't realize how much wisdom is there waiting for you. And instead, you want to go online and, and pay some asshole millionaire for a YouTube, you know, fucking tutorial. You know, yeah, I mean, those tutorials is just as good as a, a Marlboro uh, cigarette commercial in the 70s. Like, hey, man, you're really cool. Smoke this cigarette. Right. It's like, no, no, it's um, I, I that's my whole take on it, that, you know, the it is a, it, it, the life's not fair. The world's not fair. The sooner you get over it. You can strategize, you can acknowledge your situation, and plan your next move. Because we only have one life, and there's no time to be wasting, spending around, bitching about, oh, I didn't get into this school, or I didn't do that. Because I, I, look, I tell people about myself. I'm like, hey, you know, I was, a, I was hanging out with the wrong crowd, as they say, in high school. You know, I have friends that have passed away unfortunately due to that um i was in the mix you know i was in this and that um but you know i it was my parents teaching that always had in the back of my mind is like don't don't go past don't go over the cliff don't go past that stage of that you can never return from that kept me from going too far and it's funny how your parents' lessons when you're younger like resonate with you when you get older, right? They hold they they're 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 there. I mean it's yeah. I mean the parents like what I tell people is like well only only if you could be older, you know. Some people I you know, I I have a very good relationship with my father and mother. And when I talk to younger men or women, I say, How's your relationship with your dad? Oh, you know, my dad's an asshole, da da da. You know what? You need to really get past that. Figure out a way to connect. Oh man, my mom's a bitch, you know, always bitching at me. You know, you need to get past that. You need to figure out a way to communicate with your mother. And I, I said, you not, I've never actually had a fight with my mom. Can you believe that? And my entire, I'm 40, I'm 41 years old. Never fought my mom. I was horrible to my mother. Stop it. Really? I was, I was like, I tell the story in my YouTube channel, like, my mother was a broker. Of course, you know, due to open houses on the weekend, 
Yep. I didn't have a driver's license. And what I used to love to do was take my mom's car. Oh, man. <laughs> so, you know, open houses start at one o'clock, right? So, like, just being, a, I was just a complete little shit. I would take my mom's car around noon, go visit my friends, go fuck off, go to Safeway, go to the mall. And I would bring the car back at 1.30. By then, my mother, uh, and, 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 and we, my mom was, we're, we're old school. So you would farm. So where you live is where you would sell your homes. Yeah, yeah. So usually the homes my mom would sell would be, clo- sometimes be close by. So when I got back at 1.30. She's late. My mother had already walked with uh, all the for sale signs. She already had put them all out by herself. She had to walk with all her supplies to the home for sale. And I would show up at 1.30. Hey, what's up, mom? I get cart. Oh, I, I, oh, did I bring it back late? Just the, I mean, I, I, I look back on it when I was writing those stories. It really, it, it not something to laugh at. It was, it really hurt like uh, how, how bad I was. But the one, the, how I can say is that it was as I got, my mother used to always tell me, she's like, um, you know, your father and I have come to this country. We've been successful. We have a home. We have three children. We've lived our lives. If we die tomorrow, we did it. You know, we're happy. But you, you haven't done shit. You know, she wouldn't say that. She was just like, you have your whole life. What the fuck are you doing? What are you doing with your life? It's funny how you don't think about your whole life when you're in your like, you know, late teens, early twenties. Yeah, you don't Oh yeah, this is like eighteen, nineteens, twenties, you know, and she's just like, What she would just be like, What are you doing? Why are you still in bed? Right? Yeah, my daddy said it to me. <laughs> Why aren't you up? Your father your father's awake. He's working outside. Go help him. What are you doing? And, and and it was that constant nagging that eventually, uh, eventually I I in my early twenties I I woke up. I dropped out of college. And mentally I said, okay, I'm done being babysat. I'm ready to work. I'm ready to apply myself. And naively at that age, I used to, my my mission was I want to make my parents millionaires. That was my goal. Yeah. Uh, At, I when know. I was 20. Yeah. I always say, I want to make my parents millionaires and I'm going to help create this general contracting business. I'm going to help the real estate business grow. Um, that was my whole drive at that time. But I, even though I was, um, even though I was such a goofball in high school, I never had a pregnancy scare. I only dated one girl when I was in high school hmm. who eventually became my wife, the first wife. Oh. Um, I was very solo. Even if I went to a nightclub, I would go by myself. Really? Even if I went to a concert, I would go by myself. By, by yourself? Come on. Went to a car meet. I went Come by on. myself. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. You would go to a concert by yourself? Yes. Come on, man. Really? I Well, let me rephrase that. I used to work for the radio station and I would be at the concert uh, by myself. All right, I guess. But I would get but I would definitely go to the nightclub by myself. I was very I, I even in, in high school, I was already 
by I had gotten a fight my freshman year in high school, last day of school. I got beat up. I got I lost in a fight with a guy I had been hanging out with all year. What? So after my freshman year, I already had been taught the lesson that don't hang out in groups and don't hang out with losers. And, you know, like I, 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 got, I learned that lesson really early. So after my freshman year, I was always by myself. I had I was a very friendly guy like I am now. I had friends. Yeah. But I was never a packer. I never hanged out in a pack. Um always laid up with the girl, kept myself out of trouble. Um but what I, my point is that at a very young age, I knew I never wanted to have kids. So I, that kept me from having pregnancy scares. Um I wasn't really too open to marriage. Um, I did, I did have one, uh, serious relationship who became the wife later on. I always, the best way I have kind of described it is that even though your life is not going the way you want it right now, even though things are fucked up or things aren't right, it's okay to fantasize and to dream is good. So in other words, I like during those years when I was in my 20s or late teens, I would try to tell myself I'm in a dormant state. I'm in a dormant state. I need to just work on myself. I need to build. And what is this fantasy? What, what is, so, you know, like the bear, right, goes into hibernation or like I'm in a hibernation state. So when is spring? What does spring mean to me when I was in this hibernation state of just like, you know, I'm just going to walk through this mud. I'm just going to walk through this shit. I'm just going to deal with this. You know, the, 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 you know, the bad grades, the getting kicked out of school, long hours working. What is springtime? What is this summertime I'm looking for? At that time, you know, it was like I, I would daydream about traveling in Europe, fantasize, fantasize about having cars. I mean, I, I, I don't get it. The new generation, why you're 18, you're broke as fuck and you want to have a nice car. I don't get it. I don't understand. You know, your, your, your car looks like shit. Why do you have it? What are you doing? When I was, when I was a teenager, I drove a 1984, 1986 Toyota pickup four speed. And I drove pickups until I was probably 25. Oh no, I had a Lexus LS 400 when I was a realtor, but I bought a 10 year old. It was a 10 year old Lexus. All, all that matters is that you had to have her. Uh, luxury for real estate but my point was that people don't understand that you need this dormant state you need to be in this hibernation state of just building on yourself and working and working until you earn that springtime until you earn that summertime that you 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 can emerge and you're ready for it i drove i mean i i didn't buy a brand new car I had a, until 2006, I, I waited till I actually bought my final home, which I live in. I went to the dealership. The funny thing is the dealership I ended up working in in 2008 is where I bought my car in 2005. <laughs> 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 but anyways, I bought my home and then I bought the car. And I've been preaching that to people for years. It's like, yo, man, you're 16, 17. You're driving this car. You're buying all. You're spending all money. All this bullshit. You live in an apartment. Your car gets stolen. You're online. You're doing a GoFundMe because your car got wrecked. Your car got stolen. What the fuck are you doing owning a car, living in an apartment? 
you know, what are you doing owning a car, living with your mom and your car's parked outside and your car gets stolen or, you know, or, or it gets wrecked? You know, like what business do you have owning a car at that age of that value? You know, all you need at that age is to get A to B, go to college, go to work. That's it. You know, you don't need a FRS with the Rocket Bunny body kit and the 18 inch wheels and all this bullshit. But people think, you know, people think that that's that's symbolic of success. I want to be mindful of the time. There's so much I want to talk to you about still. We, we got to spend like a couple minutes breaking down kind of what the car collection is. I mean, obviously, cars are what brought us together. And we probably got to have you back on to talk about some of the SEMA stuff and all the things you've experienced as a builder. But just tell just tell them what you're driving now. Tell them what's in the stable. I know you've been building it out and everything else. But, you know, let, let's talk about some of the some of the gold. So the um, I started my current collection with a uh, I have a 1991 240SX in gold. Um, I started building that car in 2014. I built it over four years. That was my that was the whole dream. Uh, you know, uh, Wangan Midnight, you know, I, I wanted that, that Osaka, that street racer look. Mm-hmm. That was the, that was my first big build has a rocket bunny kit, uh, has an LS swap, full cage, uh, full rotisserie. Um, you know, it was the first full on build. I bought that car while I was currently owning a GTR R35. So I, I built that, I painted it in gold. Then the next uh, car I got was my 1997 not Porsche 993 RWB, which at the time I hadn't painted it yet. I already had the 240SX in gold, and then uh, I was chopping up with some old school car guys, show car guys, and we were talking about what color to paint the RWB, and they says, you know what? You're already rocking the gold 240. If you want to start building a, even back then, this is like 2016. They were talking, t- telling me this. If you want to build a brand or an image, if someone sees a gold car and they may not know it's you, they're going to tell their friend, I saw this gold car. And then they're going to say, that was probably Rico. So why don't you paint your RWB gold? Mm. And so that's how I started it. Painted the RWB gold. Uh, then I ended up with a, uh, then I also have a 1985, 86 Corolla GTS, uh, full, full street with the, uh, with the, with the blue top four AG all restored pretty much. Uh, then I, and then in 2019, I built a 1984, 86, uh, wide body for SEMA. I had in the Toyota tread pass. That uh, was a big build. I got top 10 at SEMA that year. I remember that one. That was a beautiful car. And then I decided to come back this year with my uh, 1972 240Z IMSA race car. Which you kept a secret, which makes you an asshole, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I even kept it a secret from you. I saw yeah, the yeah, trespass yeah. and I'm like, this motherfucker, what the <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean. There is so much there is so much to talk about and there's so much uh that I could share but SEMA SEMA and the Toyota Tread Pass, especially the Toyota Tread Pass, like people I like in business, in life, be humble, be respectful, you know, open doors, 
uh, you know, say hello, good morning, all that shit, right? SEMA is an ego, peacock, my dick's out parade, and I love it. <laughs> and that's what and that's what we're there for. Everybody knows what's going on. Uh, once I really got the SEMA bug in 2019, SEMA is for me being able to build for SEMA. You know, I'm not. I, I tell. I, I, I'm not into collecting watches. I don't have. You know, I I could have a presidential and all those cool things. Uh, I don't have any. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I go to parties, guys will tell me about where they live or house, cars. I don't give a fuck how much money you got or what car. What kind of car do you got, dude? What kind of cars you like? You like cars? You know, I'm the guy in the corner. My wife's like, did you find anybody to play with? Nobody here likes cars. <laughs> I want to go home. <laughs> well, why don't you talk to Rick? He, he, he has a multi. I don't give a shit what he has. Yeah. Nobody here has cars. I don't want to talk to anybody. So I'm a car guy. So if you want to impress me, whether you're a thousandaire or a millionaire, I want to know what kind of custom cars you got. Yeah. And that's what I'm into. And so SEMA for me is these cars do cost a lot of money. You know, the cars are a hundred or 200,000, uh, in the stable, um, to build. And, you know, SEMA is a realm of custom cars from 500 to 1.5 million for these custom hot rods. But what SEMA is for me is that it's a show up, you know, where did you show up? Were you able Obviously, everybody is doing well. Mm -hmm. Obviously, everybody's business owners. Obviously, everybody is a big shop. I mean, everybody obviously is funded well. So the whole thing for me, SEMA is a testament that, hey, I'm doing my business. I'm running my life. But at the same time, I was able to pull off this build. And for me, I think that's what SEMA means for me is that, hey, I was able to show up. This is what I brought. This is what I got. And, and um and I love it. And it's a huge amount of positivity at SEMA. That's why I built again. Uh I know you're building. I know you got your cars. Man. And the thing is and the thing is and the thing is, Chris, don't don't think of it as a negative because I mean the Toyota Tread Pass was cool and all and all that cool stuff, but there was lots of huge head turners inside the main halls. Yeah, yeah. All and right. when, but, but, but this is the thing that, this is the thing that, I mean, there's two ways to see it, but most of the championship cars, the top award winners, these guys have been building these cars 48 years. Yeah. Like the guy in the Toyo Tread Pass with the, uh, the 1980 was a 300 ZX. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I saw that car. Beautiful car. I believe he had been building it for over, I don't want to quote me wrong. I think five to eight years. Yeah, I believe. And he won best of show for the uh, for the for the import car. It was such a beautiful car. I mean, they didn't know yeah, so yeah. much detail. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there's two. So the thing is that don't 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 take it as a negative that you didn't show that you uh, didn't come out this year. Well, that's why we held off on the BMW. So there's so many custom things that we wanted to do, and then last minute we're like, are we going to really rush this? But I mean, we have so many billet pieces now that we made that custom logo. Cut, we replaced all the plastic with custom billet stuff. I mean, all bu a bunch of technical stuff. What I will say is though is is you know Toyo and and even Rotoform stuck by me, and, and they're still sponsoring, which is cool, but. Anyway, man, we ran so long on this podcast. I want to I have you back on so we can talk about nothing but cars 
and just straight bullshit for an hour. But <laughs> the origin story's been laid. We know we know your man who came from, you know, where you came from, what you did and what you worked. I can't thank you enough, Rico, for being on. And and for those of you who don't follow Rico currently, do me a favor, tell tell them where to find you. I know I know you had your YouTube for a while. I don't know if you're still doing that or if it's still out there, but definitely tell them and, and obviously Instagram, right? Sure, sure. Yeah. If you want to hear a more of my stories of how Rico did it, which is what a, a series of videos I didn't make on my YouTube channel. It's called Rico's Way, where it's very candid and honest. I talk about my upbringing and how I got to my current state. And also you can follow me on Instagram at Rico's Way. Which are my everything is R I K O S way, and uh, I do appreciate it. But you know what, the words that the words that I'm saying, you know, like you know, making fun of the kids or whatever. It's just that hey, if your parents aren't saying it, I'm gonna say it. You know what? If you want to get to where we are, you know, I'm 43 and I have five cars, you know, close to almost a million dollars. Um, you know, I didn't have it when I was 20. And most likely, neither should you at 20. You know, yeah, you know, uh, the, if the comet strikes, if the shooting star goes over your house, yeah, you could become a Silicon millionaire or billionaire. But hey, man, one in a million. So I would keep your head down. Focus on building your talents and skills. Listen to your parents and grow. And then one day you can be like me, surpass me or go beyond. You know, it's all love. I, I have no issues with people becoming successful. My whole, my, whole, my whole message is that I, why I harp on people is that it's kind of lonely. That's really my message. You know, I want other people to be doing what I'm doing. I want other people to be building custom custom cars like I do. Because, you know, I don't want to go out by myself. I don't want to travel by myself all the time at this age. Yeah. You know, I would like other people to be able to do it too. I don't want just people looking from below saying, yo, man, how, how the fuck did you do that? Or how come I... You can do it too. And uh, hopefully you can learn more from these podcasts, from these podcasts from Chris. Ah. And I think... I thank you from your time, but I mean, one can only hope, brother. One can only hope. It's just, but it's a it's a, it's a hard message, but it's in it's a, it's it's with um with love and respect. I know it is. It's with a it's with a positive it's with a positive root yeah. that we're we're giving you guys this message. All right. All right, my friend. Let's catch him next time. Thank you, sir. All right, take care, buddy. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Higher Standard Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you are listening to this on. If you like this episode, please write a review and share it with us. You're getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase what's possible when leaders decide to uphold a higher standard for their businesses, their investments, their families, and most importantly, themselves. If you want to see more of my content, I post daily on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, so be sure to follow me on your favorite social media platform. And with that, it is a wrap. And as always, I look forward to hanging with you all on the next episode.